the Oil Can Podcast is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. Now, the Oilers have several games coming up over the next few days, including Ottawa on Wednesday and then the Kings, Sabres, and Carolina. Uh, a lot of people say to me, I, I go and they never win. Well, there's some uh, pl- teams coming in on back-to-backs here over the next week or so, an opportunity for you maybe to see the home side win. To get in the door at the lowest price possible, in the best seats possible, check out GameTime. The GameTime app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Download the GameTime app in the Google Play or App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. Podcast. Hi there, it's Alan Mitchell, and I'm joined by Jonathan Willis. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you? Now, we were talking about weather before we uh, broke to start the show, and it's beautiful here in my area. How is it up where you are? Oh, yeah. Gorgeous, gorgeous. 25 below, sunny, clear skies, as far as you can <laughs> see. Perfect, perfect uh, December weather. Uh, John, we had uh, an athletic get-together here uh, for the... I can't remember what night it was, but I think it was a Saturday, and it was the Vegas game. Yes. And uh, one of the most asked questions was, where does John Willis live? <laughs> that, and that's why, you were trying to, that's why you were trying to sell the, the Black Friday subscriptions by offering to point out my house, as, <laughs> yeah, as though right. Google Maps really had an image this far north. <laughs> Come on. Well, there's just a lot of snow up there. but Well, that's uh, just I it. Told- they... It makes it easier for them because they just take one picture of flat white plain and, <laughs> and that's everything. Sprinkle in the little, odd tree in different spots, you're all good. There's a little speck and they say, that's John's house, I swear to you, that's what it is. <laughs> uh, we have so much to talk about, so let's get to that. Uh, starting with, uh, for me, one of the really fascinating uh, sets of two games here, maybe along with the Arizona and, and Vegas games. This back-to-back with the Vancouver Canucks on the weekend I I cannot tell you the number of people who are who have observed this team for a long time. Some of whom were in are, are in media and were genuinely concerned about the Sunday game because of the the Colorado game and then the Vancouver game here. Even though people trust this team, there's still that fear of wobble. Uh, and and they came back and they played very well in the Vancouver game. But uh, I I still think there's a little there's some remnants here, even among media, of this team maybe going south. Well, of course there is. They've been traumatized by years and years of this, right? <laughs> uh, I Actually, one of the... And, I, and I'm not sure if it's just in my head or if it's a real thing that I'm looking at because I'm always leery of, of trusting my gut instinct on these things. But this certainly looks like a team that fares well after it plays badly, right? Like in years past, they'd play badly and it would be the start of this long, miserable stretch and you'd have all these heartbreaking quotes from guys who couldn't score and and other guys who were trying to, trying to win the odd game even though they were scoring. And it doesn't seem to be that way now. They have a bad game. Maybe, maybe they have two bad games in a row, but uh, they come out strong after poor efforts. And I, I thought they did a really nice job bouncing back in that second game against Vancouver, despite playing without a bunch of guys. 
Well, and it, part of it, I think, is the the because of the personality of Dave Tippett. He's he's very even keeled after a loss or a win. Last night, after the win, I think he was more upset about Patrick Russell's uh, goal not counting than he was about <laughs> anything that he uh, saw on the ice. But he he seems to be a guy who's very attentive to the details. So even in a win or in a loss, he's going to find something either to look look you know add as a as something to improve on or something that you can look to as an improvement he he does seem to be able to you know balance things out and you never get too high or too low i suspect that also happens in the room with Tippett. well did you read that um dehatchik piece from last friday the quote from Tippett in that that eric dehatchik piece yes Yes, I did. It, uh, it was great I'm, I'm trying to remember I, I don't want to butcher it but it was something along the lines of how when he was a younger guy He'd, he'd, he'd yell and he'd feel, but now he realizes it's just emotion and he's much more interested in solving the problem than he is in yelling about the problem. And that's sort of the vibe he always gives off, you know, just this very professional, very um, uh, implacable is the word I'm going to use, implacable. He, you know, he just keeps going and going and going and, and addressing the problem. And that's, that's the way he seems to be. I, I, I think everybody's really... Everybody who watches the Oilers regularly has really enjoyed listening to him describe the team that he's coaching and has really enjoyed his his methodical approach behind the bench. Yeah, he's been he's been a real revelation and I I you know, you you look to why this team is different and I and I'm always focused on the five on five where uh, McDavid is off to a fine start uh, in terms of goal differential. Uh, McDavid or uh, Nuge is in the black. The Shahan line is is really on the negative side, and and it looks like Haas is building back. I think he's five and seven now in goal differential. But Ken Holland said it in the summer when he was acquiring talent, and certainly Dave Tippett has made it a, a an important part of the third and fourth line. Uh, these guys on the third and fourth line aren't necessarily sexy, but you know the penalty kill last night is an example they they were rock solid they get a couple of power play goals and really along with the goaltending i think koskinen was the better goalie that's the difference in the game i'm sorry are we highlighting not sexy acquisitions because i'm pretty sure that was peter shirelli's approach the whole time he was here he never got sexy players he got all kinds of players (laughs) i i agree with you though and i'm actually a little bit torn about what not so much archibald be last night because of course I, th- I thought he had his easily his best game of the year playing you know in a feature role next to Connor McDavid but uh, Shahan and, and Archibald for most of the year I haven't liked him at five on five and but they've been really good on the penalty kill and you look at their historical numbers these are guys who are legit good on the penalty kill so eh, I, in an ideal world I think they're playing fourth line I, I think the Oilers kind of have two fourth lines going right now and probably both good fourth lines but uh, one of them's overmatched in that third line role and and we've seen that hurt them sometimes but they they certainly do bring value while shorthanded John I, and I like Haas by the way I do like him but yes. if you were going to acquire uh, a third line center today would it be more of a DeHarnay offensive guy or would you look more for what we would consider to be a classic checking center I, I don't think it matters because I, I think you can deploy your personnel however you however you want like if you've got a a real classic Todd Marchant checking line type guy you load up that third line with your best two-way players if you get a David DeHarnay type who can score you put Shahan on the fourth line. He only gets defensive zone starts, and you uh, you give the third line a, little, a few more minutes than they have right now. I think you can take either approach and, and justify it. 
Do you like uh, what you've seen from Gagne filling in here at times anyway? Uh, a couple of games for sure. Well, Ryan Nugent Hopkins is out. Mostly, yeah. I, I think um, maybe maybe not quite so good on, on, on Dreisaitl's wing last night. Maybe, maybe I'm being too critical there because it was a good team game and, and I didn't think anybody was really bad. But uh, he, he really stepped in beautifully that first game for Nugent Hopkins and, and quite a bit better than I was expecting because, you know, Chase on and Neil are both good players, but I don't think of either of them as, as really being second line guys. I mean, even Neil with his goal scoring, I, I see him more as a, a power play specialist sort of and uh, offensive third line role. So Gagne did well in that in that slot. And I think he's been a good call up for them. I think he brings them something that they didn't really have among their reserve forwards. The the Nuge injury, we're, we're told that, that he should be back by uh, Ottawa, which is on Wednesday. And Cassian had a back issue, so he was out. Although I'm still, you know, I, 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 I'm still a little suspicious because when uh, Marcus Grandland took two penalties uh, earlier in the year, uh, Tippett sat him. And Cassian took a, 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 a charging penalty early in that game against Vancouver and they gave up a power play or a power play goal against. And I, uh, part of me says that the old, old, you know, school tip, it might've said to himself, we're going to give him a, you know, a night off just to think, think about that because uh, that, that goal against did hurt. But if this team moving forward gets Cassian back and Nugent Hopkins back, are you are you satisfied? Or are you still looking for a, a a checking center and a winger? And I I want to warn you, I'm leading into the Taylor Hall conversation. Now. <laughs> well, I, I think you're always looking, right? Because this is clearly a club that could use some upgrades up front. They're in good position. It, it all depends on who's available and the price, and whether you're considering extending them to next year. All of those factors roll in. Like if you can add, you know, Jeff Petrie for a second round pick. Not that. They can do that, but they they sold Jeff Petrie for a second round pick once upon a time. If you can be on the other end of that deal, go for it absolutely, um, or I guess the forward equivalent of that deal. The more expensive rentals, a uh, a, a tougher question for me because I'm I'm not sure that they're in a position where it where it makes sense. I'd I'd rather see somebody they're looking at long term. And and just before we move on, the Cassian thing, I thought that was a tough play because Tana, I think it was Tana for Vancouver was going yeah. down and he was yeah. going down before Cassian arrived and there wasn't really much he could do at that point. I, I didn't think anyway. Well, it was, uh, it was, you know, I love Cassian's game and I think he's playing the best hockey of his career. Uh, so hopefully he'll be back uh, very soon. Uh, all right, let's, let's do this on Saturday, I guess morning. Uh, I, the first person I saw talk about it was Pierre Lebrun saying that they're not necessarily trading Taylor Hall, but they are listening for, uh, you know, offers and just to see what the market looked like. Uh, later that day, Elliot Friedman on Hockey Night in Canada talked about uh, Hall again, and then Edmonton was mentioned either by him or I know it was mentioned via Chiron uh, on on Edmonton's possible interest in Hall. And, of course, as you know, John, once the, the Hall to Edmonton uh, conversation starts or Hall Larson uh, conversation starts, it sort of flattens everything. It's like a an H bomb across the Hall bomb across Oiler Nation. Uh, but here, I'm going to tell you my feeling on it, and then you you tell me where you agree or disagree. Is that okay? Yeah, I love saying where I disagree with you. Wait, wait, <laughs> agree was an option too, right? Uh, sure. Yeah, let, yeah, let's it, say it, I it might was. agree with you, Al. <laughs> it, it was. It hasn't happened yet, but we've only known each other for 10 years. so Yeah, so, uh, I mean, anything could still happen. <laughs> yeah. Early days. So, 
my my feeling on the issue is that at some point in time, this this club is going to add uh, a skill player, but the the player that they add, if it's going to be a rental, it's not going to include Evan Bouchard, it's not going to include uh, Broberg, and it's not include the the twenty twenty first round pick. That's my feeling on the issue. Now, having said that, when you when you have uh, that as an option, if if Holland decides that he wants to go get Hall and there's an opportunity to sign him long-term or to use that first-round pick in 2020 as a, uh, if they sign him, the second-round pick goes to a first one. I can see Holland considering it. I don't know that it's a good idea, but if he's changed his mind about the build of this team, as in when the fall, when he talked about we're a building team and we need to get going, if he feels differently about it now, then, then it's not necessarily a bad idea what are your thoughts i don't like it as a pure rental if, if you're talking about a long-term addition it's a different story but as a pure rental i i don't think it makes sense to like to me because taylor hall is going to be such a pricey asset to pick up it's not like you can just flip adam larson for him right like you're going to be giving up a lot so it's it's one of those situations where i don't think you're in that conversation as a pure on a purely rental basis unless you really regard yourself as a cup contender and and you know do uh, do regard for what the Oilers have done so far I don't think they're there yet and part of the reason I don't think they're there yet is because so much of the positive record this season has been the result of special teams and those get de-emphasized in the playoffs we all know the officiating standard changes your five-on-five play becomes more important that's why teams like LA and St. Louis they have advantages going into the playoffs LA in years past obviously not LA this year uh, but to me, the Oilers are a team that relies so much on their power play and their penalty kill and is really only passable at five on five, even though they're leading the division. So I don't think they, they should be in that conversation on a purely rental basis. Long term, if you can sign him long term, then that's a different story. And the question then becomes, what does his performance arc look like over his, well, I'm sure it's going to be a seven or eight year extension, say, call it seven years. That's a major risk, especially given his injury history. I haven't crunched the numbers on that, so I keep kind of prevaricating and wavering and, and fence-sitting, and, and I hate to do it, but I don't know if that makes sense until I actually look at what aging curves look like for guys like Hall. It's For me, the, the concerns are twofold. Number one, uh, injury and, and erosion are, are, you know, I mean, he's been injured and he's not, or if he is 30, he's just 30. So there's that to deal with. The second thing is, I don't know how uh, you sign him long. You'd ha- almost have to bring him in, uh, sign him for a year or two, and then and then rejig it at some point in time. And I don't think Hall's interested in that. This is w- the one chance he can go to July 1. For me, it's cleaner as a deal to let him go wherever he wants at the deadline or wherever New Jersey sends him and then be very aggressive on July 1 when you have your ducks in order and you go and you try to sign him at that time. I understand the concern about him maybe being gone uh, and he is the one guy out there who's attractive enough to, to spend big money, I think, on July 1. But the risk is so high, especially if you include that first round pick. Uh, to me, that's you might be you might be trading the score that you're looking for if you trade that pick. It's possible the Oilers uh, fall down the standings a little bit and that pick becomes far more valuable in the second half of the year. Well, I, I think it'll be... I, I don't think they're going to fall out of the playoff picture, but you know, maybe somebody like Matthew Barzell falls... To, to where that pick is, like like what happened in 2015. 
I, I don't think you're likely to get a hall level player back with that pick um, if you if you draft with it, but it, it's certainly in the realm of possibility. I guess the one big argument in favor of, of looking at Hall and looking at him aggressively is he's such a good five-on-five score. I, I've just been player. talking about, yeah, well, and I've just been talking about how the Oilers are, you know, this special teams-driven phenomenon and are much more mediocre at five-on-five. Well, you look at Taylor Hall. Taylor Hall is a perfect fit for team need. He's a guy who drives play five-on-five, even this year, maybe not to the same extent as years past, but even this year. And... Uh, that's exactly what they need and I the other part of the question in my mind is how do you get better there if you don't go and get Taylor Hall because those players are not easy to find and I don't think they have anybody coming up at forward who can come close to replicating what what somebody like Taylor Hall would do so it's it's one of those things where you got to assess the long-term risk and you have to be in it for the long term if you trade for him but um, there's good arguments for and against. Well, I like it because he, there, the, the, as far as him coming onto the roster is concerned, he can play with with, with anybody. It always kills me when people say, "Well, Holland, Holland, and David didn't play well together. They played like for five minutes. You know, it was not a long period of time. I'm sure they'd be just fine." But he can play it's, with Nuge. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I'm sorry. It's 76 even strength minutes, Al. So right. the podcast you're listening to right now has played 76 fewer minutes at even strength with Connor McDavid <laughs> than Taylor Hall did. That's, that's a Dennis King joke that I'm stealing, but uh, the the based on their 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 abilities, I'm going to go. I'm going to go out and make a a massive bet that they they would uh, uh, get great chemistry uh, as a season, for instance, wore along. So I'm not at all concerned about that. The it comes down to, I think, price tag. And the problem I wrote about this today about, I think Paul Yarvey is, is maybe an early second round pick in terms of value, say 35. I think their second round pick is about 55. Their first round pick is maybe anywhere from 20 to 24. And that's what it's going to take that, that, that level, I think. I think there is a team in the NHL, like say Colorado, that may well give up their first round pick for Taylor Hall. So say that's twenty eight. The Oilers have to offer something more valuable than that. Um, and I think Colorado could take Hall on without New Jersey even worrying about taking on money too, which Edmonton would have to either trade a player uh, with with uh, dollars attached or have uh, Taylor Hall part of his contract be eaten by New Jersey or both in a trade. So, uh, I mean, I, I, I hear Montreal, but for me, if Colorado wants Taylor Hall, they, they're the one team that can just afford to go out and get him. Yeah, I think Colorado makes more sense than Montreal. Well, you look at where Montreal is in the standings, right? Montreal has a lot of the same questions that Edmonton does in terms of their ability to to compete. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not wild about I can I understand why they're sitting in the rumor mill, but I'm not wild about them. The other thing with Hall, I think, is ideally if you're Edmonton, you're sending some money back the other way. And, and that's not necessarily a salary dump because then you're going to be paying even more for that, but it's probably a decent player. Maybe maybe it's Adam Larson just for fun. Probably it's a defenseman. But I think no matter how you structure it, it makes sense to have the centerpiece be somebody with a, a significant contract who fits New Jersey's needs. The the When I wrote the article on Hall that's at The Athletic today, I put it up yesterday, I talked about draft picks. Uh, I talked about a, a contract going back, whether it be Gagne or Manning or I guess Russell or or uh, Matt Benning to make the money work or part of the money work. the The other area that I looked at was prospects, and I when I look at New Jersey and I look at the orders and what might match, uh, 
I don't think Bear's going anywhere. I don't think Broberg's going anywhere. I don't think Bouchard's going anywhere. I don't think Jonesy is either. But a guy like William Ligason, is he enough, John, to partially, like, to be part of a package? Or do you worry about that old thing where you're stacking? You, you've got, it's like the old HF boards trade. I'll give you this and this <laughs> and this and a second round pick. Is there is there a player uh, maybe in that middle ground, maybe Tyler Benson, maybe Yamamoto, who's enough to help move that needle, or or do none of them have as much cachet as, say, Jessup Yarvi? I, I I think I'd rather have Benson than Yarvi right now. So I, I guess I, I guess I'm saying that Benson has more value than Yarvi. I think just the Yarvi situation being what it is, he's sort of the obvious piece for them to go shopping with since he's worth a lot less to them than than Benson is whereas if you're New Jersey Benson and and Puliyarvi maybe there's not such a big difference I I think for Laguson if, if you're looking at him he as long as he's the third guy in your three-piece package it makes sense right because the classic package is uh, first round pick young roster player second tier prospect and if Laguson's the second tier prospect yeah he's a, he's a real good fit to me, I, I wonder, especially if you're looking at Puliyarvi as one of those two main pieces, if you're the third piece of your three-piece package doesn't have to be a more impressive player. Maybe yeah. it is Caleb Jones. Yeah. That, well, I mean, that that's I, – I guess – and it also depends on what the ask is from New Jersey. Um, yeah. But if we went Benson instead of Puliyarvi uh, and – I mean, I don't know what the roster will say, Benning, and then the second round pick, and with the caveat that if they signed him, the second turns into a one. That's attractive. I don't know. I still think there are other teams that could beat that, though. Yeah, I, I don't think that gets it. I don't think that gets it done in the market. I think you need a bigger centerpiece than, than like because no matter how you're starting it there, you're talking about a conditional first or Benson or Puliyarvi as your main piece, and that's where I think they're weakest. Because if, yeah. if if you're if you're offering up a first round pick, then the young roster player you're offering up had better be a good one. And I don't think that Pen, either Benson or Puliyarvi is established enough to reach that that threshold. So. And this, I, I, if you agree with me, I'll, I, I think it's fair. The only way the Oilers get the haul is to include that first round pick. No, I don't think that's necessarily true. I think maybe maybe it's the only um, maybe it's the only palatable way that you do it, depending on how you feel about the other players on the roster. But if you go to New Jersey and you say, "Let's start talking something around Darnell Nurse for Taylor Hall," and you let us talk to Hall about an extension, I think you could go that route too. I, like I, I don't, I don't imagine the Oilers would want to go that route, but uh, that that is something that's conceivable. Yeah, I, I, I see your point. I, I just keep going back to it's one of those things that you run around on, but I, I, I always have felt that a team like Colorado could put together a, a, a more attractive package, partly because they don't have to worry about you know money. New Jersey can send them over clean, and it's no, it, it, they're done with it. They just have to worry about. Uh, what's coming back in return. You mentioned a name there, John, that I want to drill down a little bit more on, and that's Caleb Jones, who has uh, been up here for, I think, eight or nine games. I can't recall exactly which. Uh, And he's, you know, in terms of possession, he's doing pretty well. Uh, Last couple of games, he didn't play the third period last night. That's partly because Matt Benning was hurt. Where are you with uh, Jones? I I see him as being a guy who who could fit long-term on this roster pretty well. Um, do you do you feel like he's as with Bear and untouchable, or do you think Jones is a player the Oilers might part with, depending upon what the what the return is? 
So I like Jones a ton. I actually, I've, his first game I thought was really, really good. He's he's tailed off a little bit, into my eye anyway. I've, I've actually been a little bit underwhelmed by his performance so far relative to, to what my expectation level was based on his minor league play last year. I like him a ton. I just the the physical tools. I I think he's really close to putting it together, and I think you see that when you look at at some components of his game. And there's just some raw edges that need to be filed down a little bit. I, I think he's really close. I wouldn't want to deal him because to me, with him and Ethan Bear, you've got two guys who are going to be cheap long term solutions, and age age rise. They're perfect for this cluster. So I wouldn't want to touch them. I'm not saying I'd never do it, depending on the the exact package and the other thing is at, at some point we're getting the Oilers will have to make a choice on the left side because Clefbaum Nurse I think you want Jones playing there eventually Broberg Samarukov you've got a bunch of players and and Jones is, is in that spot where he hasn't established himself yet and he could be at risk I I would be very reluctant to trade him but um, I, I can see how it could happen so Jones Benson in the first Oof, that's that's a good package. But is it too much? You know, like your well, Jones could fair. play here for yeah. fifteen years, right? And Benson is a like I think he could be a top nine player for a long time. And the first round pick could be, you know, that's the, I think I think we've surrounded a, a package. But I, you know, again, it gets back to whether or not Ken Holland wants to do what what Peter Shirelli did, and that's you know put all of his chips in this early. Well, but let's let's uh, backtrack a little bit here. That in one sense it's doing what Peter Shirelli did and and you know going for broke, but in another sense it's doing the opposite of what Peter Shirelli did. Peter Shirelli did not bet on elite talent. Peter Shirelli bet on lots of things, but he's never bet on elite talent. You go back to the Sagan trade in Boston, he has bet against elite talent time and again. I really believe, well, it's, it's a cliche for a reason. If you get the best player in the deal, you generally win the deal. I, I think that's true probably nine times out of ten. To me, it just comes down to what Hall's aging curve is. I think if you trade Jones, Benson, and a first, it's n- probable that not all of those things turn out, and you're probably going to win the deal if the drop-off on Hall isn't steep. And, and that's where I would be concerned because between his injuries and between, like, he's 28 now, he'll be 29 at the start of next year, you're entering those years where players begin to degrade and and that's the real risk for me uh, 10 years from now if you had to make a bet in vegas right now on benson or jones having the better career who would it be uh, jones jones because of the skating i i like benson a lot benson does a lot of things really well but um to me just how well jones skates i i don't see a way he doesn't have a career Interesting stuff. I I always find it fascinating with prospects because the 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 Oilers are. I mean, I think I think Benson. I would have Benson here now. That's me. But I think he's close. I think Yamamoto because he's been hurt so much is probably, you know, he, I think he may get the entire year now in the AHL. But when I watch Jones and he's playing on his offside, he didn't get a chance really to play last night. He got two periods and Benny kept hurting himself. Um, but I I feel like Benson and Jones and Bear and Patrick Russell, which is a bit of a surprise and an outlier, ha- have started to give them those role players who could really become more. And Jones, for me, is the one guy who's 
you know, I'm not saying he's got terrific offensive instincts. I don't think he passes the puck by like bear, but he has a range of skills and I can see him like playing. Eventually I can see him playing top four. I don't know that I see Benson as a top six winger. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I think I like Benson a little more because I think he's more, um, I think he fits a role and I think he's he's going to be perfect in that role for a long, long time. With Jones, I think the risk is higher because he's got a higher ceiling. Just like Bear, actually, very similar to Bear. Well, it's it's actually, it's interesting you compare uh, Jones to Bear because a year ago, if you'd asked me which of them I was going to bet on, I would have bet on Jones and it would have been because of skating. Bear, to me, the thing that has changed the most this year from previous seasons, and maybe it was an injury situation last year because he was banged up a lot, even when he was playing. But his skating is at a level I've I've never seen it at in in previous rookie camps in in even his previous call up which I thought went fairly well. He's like the brains have always been there, but he's he's doing stuff with his feet that I I don't remember ever seeing from him as a player before this season. He's he's an interesting bear to me is his one great gift that that he has. He has I think two. He's got a great shot as well is on display because it's such a rarity. Uh, for for the Oilers to have that, and it, it, it it's it's a great outlet. Uh, I like him with Nurse because some of the things that he doesn't do as well, uh, win battles along the wall, that sort of thing. Uh, Nurse can help him with. I'm also curious. I don't know that we'll ever see him again with Clefbaum, but they they played the opening night together, uh, and I tracked that game closely. And Clefbaum, in a way is is maybe even a better mentor for these young guys because he seems to be a little more adaptable in style and uh, it's it's all honestly too bad that Jones isn't right-handed because I think he would really benefit from Clefbaum one of the problems that they have is they're both left-handed left-handed players but the when we get back to to what this year was supposed to be about it was about development and it was about the pipeline and it was about Bakersfield and I with Jones, I can see them sending him down, but I hope they keep him because I think he's one of the six best defensemen they have. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with that. He's, um, yeah, he's 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 got some. The, the thing too is, he's breaking into the league, and when guys break into the league, there are going to be some rough edges, and the trick is just making sure that you you develop them out of that. And and he's had a good long development run in the minors. I don't think. Like it's it's not like Evan Bouchard where the things that he needs to work on are things he needs to work on at the minor or things he can really work on at the minor league level. I don't think that's the case with Jones. I think he's he's got to do it at NHL speed because he's done it all basically at the American League level. It's um, when when I look at this defense, I, I I really feel for Matt Benning because he's a he's a very good player and if he could, he's had so many concussion problems at this point. Like. I, was it was it against Carolina? He took that hit a couple of years ago. Yeah, and it, yeah. I, I swear Stalwart. that altered his career. Tra- yeah, I, I, I swear yeah. that altered his career tra- trajectory. That probably knocked three minutes a night off his career. Well, maybe not three minutes a night, but it, it knocked him down in terms of what he was capable of being at the NHL level. I think because to me, he was trending like a guy who might be a, a second pairing defenseman for a while, and and now he's a, he's a good third pairing guy, but um, it, it's difficult to project him past that. We're going to be feeling sorry for somebody else here in about a year when Samarikov is pushing because that guy's going to. <laughs> I think he's going to be something else too. They they've done a really good job drafting defensemen. The Oilers have. They really have. Yes, yes. Uh, the well, shout out to Stu McGregor, right? The that 2015 draft delivered in spades. The uh, the list that was more or less in place when Peter Shirelli took the job. 
I mean, to land three guys between the fourth, fifth, and sixth rounds, that's tremendous. Well, I think I hear your cat saying that Stu McGregor is the magnificent bastard. You of know. course we hear my cat. It's <laughs> we, we didn't have her last week, so... Ah. There's nothing wrong with a cat sound. It adds a little, you know, aroma or air to the to the show. Um, Maybe it's just a sign that I need to talk less. Like, you know, they wouldn't have as much opportunity <laughs> to speak in the mic if I let you get a word in edgewise every once in a while. I, I'm sure. I'm sure anybody listening to this would totally disagree with that. The cat does for sure. Uh, so this week, John, let's finish it up on this one. This week they play uh, Ottawa, uh, Los Angeles, Buffalo. I think. What are your expectations? There's a couple of those teams that are coming in. They'll play the night before, and then they play the Oilers uh, here at Rogers. Do you do you think they can go two one and zero? Or yeah, I think I think you expect them to win two of the three, and I think you know a three and zero run is not out of the range of possibility. You know, like Dave Tippett likes to say, there's no such thing as an easy game in the NHL, but realistically, this is about as easy as it gets in, in terms of their schedule. So I think Daniel's back with us on Thursday. Uh, I know you've got a lot of shoveling to do and writing. <laughs> and, and, and I, of course, will be uh, doing my usual, which is driving people around and, and uh, being on the radio. Will you join me tomorrow on the radio, by the way? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's the plan. Um, I, I think that'll be good. But next week should be interesting, actually, because I'm, I'm going to be at the um, World Junior A Challenge, which oh. is a fantastic tournament, so I'm going to be be covering that uh, starting Thursday, I think. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. A lot of a lot of good draft eligible players there. Oh this man, year. that that's that's. Uh, I know a few scouts who are going in. They're very excited about it. So we look forward to your reports on that, John. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Please rate and subscribe the Oil Can on Apple. If you click on the show URL, theathletic.com/slash/theoilcan, you get forty percent off your subscription. And when you subscribe to the Athletic. You'll get to hear a bonus episode of The Oil Can every week. For Jonathan Willis, I'm Alan Mitchell. Thank you so much for joining us on this edition of The Oil Can at The Athletic.